Well, guys, we're in Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 15, as we go through the Bible, Leviticus 15 through 17 this evening. Well, as you are coming to church tonight, I'm sure you are longing for some encouragement. We desperately need some encouragement in these times. And Leviticus 15 may provide it for you is, is it's the laws on bodily discharge. That, that's uh, what we're in for this evening to start off our study. So, so no wiping your nose during this chapter, okay? No, no, none of that. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we do draw near to you uh, during these times and ask that you would comfort our hearts and that you would speak to us. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, that you're the sacrifice for our sins. And we do pray that you would encourage us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So this chapter, chapter 15, I am going to summarize it uh, for you. To give you a gist of the chapter, chapter 15, is it does deal with all different kinds of bodily discharge. And the long and short of it is you are unclean if you have bodily discharge. And not only are you unclean, but everything that you touch is unclean. So if you touch a, a vessel, a chair, a bed, a person, they're unclean as well. And there's all of these detailed instructions in regards uh, to this. Now, why this chapter? Why is there Leviticus 15 in the scriptures? One is it shows us how much we have to appreciate in the new covenant of God's grace. How much the blood of Jesus covers us from our sin, and causes us to be clean this evening. If you're ever desiring to live under the law, spend some time in Leviticus 15. If you ever meet somebody that says, Jesus died for our sins, but we need to now live under the law, take them to Leviticus 15. I've met people that eat kosher. I've met people that celebrate the Sabbath day. I've never met somebody that follows Leviticus 15. <laughs> So we're very thankful that this points us to our need for Christ. But also, we do see Jesus fulfilling this chapter very specifically in Luke chapter 8. You may remember that there was a woman that had the flow of blood for 12 years. She was sick, and she was not having her normal period and just having continual bleeding for a 12-year period. She had tried all of the doctors. She had spent all of her money on physicians. Sound familiar? I guess healthcare costs have always been a problem. But for her being a Jewish woman, having this flow of blood is that she was perpetually unclean. She couldn't be around anybody. And anything that she touched was, was unclean. She was a complete outcast. And she decides to go to Jesus in the midst of Christ traveling through a busy city. He was going to Jairus's house because his daughter, Jairus's daughter, was at the point of death. She has the boldness to go and touch Jesus. Now, according to Leviticus 15, then Jesus would have been unclean. She understood that Jesus had the power to heal her and her healing would result in her being clean, which would allow her to enter back into society and with her family and her friends. Jesus is the one who makes us clean. 
So this chapter, it points to our need not just for physical cleansing from bodily fluid, but ultimately Jesus being the one who cleanses us. And maybe you feel like that outcast. You feel like that unclean person and you can reach out to Jesus through prayer and touch him and receive that cleansing that can only come from Christ. We're gonna jump into chapter 16 from there. And chapter 16 describes the day of atonement. This was the one day a year where one man, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies to enter into God's presence and make atonement for sin. This chapter divides itself into three sections. The first six verses deal with the preparation of the priest. The the priest is getting ready to go into the Holy of Holies. And then verse 7 to 19 is the preparation of the place, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, And then the chapter ends from verse 20 to 34 with the preparation of the people where they're preparing for the day of atonement. In verse 16, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. If you remember back earlier in our study, Aaron's sons, they took their own fire instead of the fire on the altar in the tabernacle, and they were struck down dead. And in response to that, God's saying, now you need to come into the Holy of Holies, not just whenever you feel like it, but on one day, once a year. We see in the New Testament when Jesus died on the cross that the veil to the Holy of Holies was torn in two. We have an invitation given to us in Hebrews chapter 4 to come boldly to the presence of God, to find grace and mercy in the time of need. What we have access to, the nation of Israel would long for to be able to come into God's presence. Let's say you are an Amorite. And you saw the children of Israel traveling through the wilderness. And you came and had a conversation with them saying, why are you always pitching this tent? What is it? Well, this is where God meets with us. This is where God tabernacles with us. Well, I want to meet with God. I want to dwell with God. I want to get into God's presence. This is what you're saying as an Amorite. And the Israelite looks at you and says, well, that." that's kind of difficult because in order for you to go into the Holy of Holies, not just anybody can go into the Holy of Holies, but you have to be the tribe of Levi. And you can't just be the tribe of Levi. You have to be the oldest in your family to be the high priest. And while today's not a good day, even if you were of the tribe of Levi and Even if you were the oldest and you were the high priest, you can't just go into God's presence today. You've got to wait for the Day of Atonement. That's the only day that you can come into God's presence. You would start to understand how difficult of a task it really was to enter into the Lord's uh, presence. It was something that was very revered and special. It says at the end of the verse here, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. 
when you think of the tabernacle, there was two rooms. And the first room had the candlestick and the the altar that was there, the altar of incense. And then there would be a veil that would go into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of it was the mercy seat, which is the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, where two angels, formed angels, were. Not, Not literal angels, but the form of angels on the mercy seat. And it's at the mercy seat that God is going to meet with the high priest. God always meets with us based on his mercy, even here in the Old Testament. So verse 3, thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of the young bulls as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. So Aaron's the high priest and he's going to come into the holy of holies And this is what he needs to do to prepare himself. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. The priests were robed in these glorious priestly robes. But on this day the high priest would put off that royal garb and put on simple linen to come into God's presence, to come into the the Holy of Holies. And Jesus, as the ultimate high priest, he serves us in humility, doesn't he? He was born in Bethlehem, served as a carpenter, came in on his triumphal entry on, on a donkey. So the priest had to put on these clothes of humility, and Jesus serves us in humility. And he shall take from the congregation, the children of Israel, two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So he's going to offer up for his own sins before he makes atonement for the children of Israel. And we'll read more about the two goats in just a minute. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Had to make sacrifice for himself and for his house because the high priest is not the ultimate priest and had sin in his own life. We all have sin in our own lives that need to be dealt with. Think for us that are fathers, this is a beautiful picture as we are the priests of our home is to deal with our own sin but also to deal with the sin of our family, to go before the Lord on behalf of our wife and our kids. Job is a great example of this. He would rise up early in the morning and make sacrifice for his children just in case they sinned. It's like, maybe they're going to sin today. I want to get up and intercede for them on behalf of of the Lord. In verse 8, Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. So these two goats, the day of atonement, There would be the casting of a lot, flipping of a coin. And one of the goats would die, but the other goat would go free. The one that died was offered to the Lord, and the one that would go free, 
symbolized the forgiveness that was given to the children of Israel. God knew that the nation of Israel would fall short of the law. They'd have to have sacrifice for their sin. So for that year that the sin is placed upon the goat that would die so that then this other goat could go free, symbolizing forgiveness, symbolizing what Jesus ultimately has done for us. Jesus is the goat that was sacrificed. He is the sacrifice for our sins so that we could go free, so that we could be set free. In verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals, a fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, or the Ark of the Covenant, lest he die. So this offering of incense is a picture of prayer and thanksgiving. And as we come into God's presence, we come into his presence with thanksgiving. We pour out our hearts uh, before the Lord. Do you know the Lord hears you? I'm sure you've got a lot of things on your heart. A lot of things that cause you to have great thanksgiving. A lot of things that cause you great consternation as well. And that is a picture of our prayers. It's a picture of our thanksgiving being brought uh, before the Lord. In verse 14, he shall, make, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Why seven times? Everything in this scripture is specific because seven is the number of completion. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he bled from seven locations from his body, from his feet, one, two, from his hands, three, four, from his back, five, from his head with the crown of thorns, and then finally seven, he was pierced in his side. So the Lamb of God bled seven places from his body to fulfill the perfect sacrifice. And here, all the way back in the Old Testament, the sacrifice for Aaron's sin, there was seven times that he would place the blood on the mercy seat. The blood of Jesus on the mercy seat is where God meets with us. What's interesting about the tabernacle is we see in the New Testament, it says the tabernacle is a shadow of the throne room of God. So when we get to heaven, we're going to see the throne room of God and we're going to go, man, I've read about this. I've read about this tabernacle. So in heaven, there's a mercy seat where Jesus is our mediator, where he is the one who is the sacrifice for our sin. And it's the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat, which God meets with us. Do you ever feel like, man, I'm just not worthy to meet with the Lord. <laughs> I've had a bad day. This whole COVID virus thing is really exposing my flesh and bringing the worst out of me. Or I made some sinful choices and did them some things I'm not proud of that bring me shame. I can't meet with the Lord. Well, we never meet with the Lord based on our own merit. We meet with the Lord based on the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat. And that's why we're welcomed into fellowship with God, because of the fulfilled sacrifice of Christ. 
In verse 16, so she, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all of their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with its fingers seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it, from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So we see this emphasis on making atonement. Atonement means to cover in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word. All that the sacrifice could do is cover sin. But atonement in the New Testament means to remove our sin. God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And the blood of Jesus not only covers our sin, but removes our sin from us. The idea is that Christ is taking the punishment for us so that we can receive the forgiveness of God. In verse 20, And when he's made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So now the place has been prepared, and the people of God are going to be prepared. The goat's going to be sacrificed, and the scapegoat is going to be set free. Aaron shall lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the inequities of the children of Israel and their transgressions concerning their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away in the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all of the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So an amazing picture for the children of Israel. First, that, that one goat's dying and another's living, but the goat that's living, then Aaron would go and put his hands on the goat and then pronounce all the sin of Israel for that year on that goat, then send the goat away to the wilderness to an uninhabited land, and the figurative language is clear that our sin is removed from us. That's what God's done for us. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. And this would be that visual picture that they're freed from their, their sins. What a good truth for us to meditate on this evening. To know that our sins are forgiven. To know that our sins are removed uh, from us. In verse 23, Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. So he's got to reserve these linen garments for spending time in God's presence. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out, offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. What was this day like for the high priest to come into God's presence, looking forward to the day of atonement? What was it like for the children of Israel to reflect on their sin for the year, weighty and heavy, and to see the goat go into their wilderness means symbolic of the fact that God had removed their sins for them. Very, very special day 
the Day of Atonement, very revered uh, for them. In verse 25, the fat of the sin offering, which he shall burn on the altar, and he shall, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Afterward, he may come into camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to, to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and the offal. And Christ, we know, was crucified outside of, of the camp. So the sacrifice was, was taken outside of the camp and burned. In verse 28, Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into camp. This shall be a statute forever for you, for the nation of Israel. For the seventh month, the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. So once a year, the seventh month, the tenth day, they would stop. No work, humble themselves before the Lord, knowing that atonement was made for their sin. Tonight we're going to celebrate communion. For those of you that are home, I would encourage you to celebrate communion, to to get some juice, some grape juice, and some bread, and to remember what Christ has done. And when we celebrate communion, we're remembering that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And with communion, we're to look within as well. There would be an introspection that's taking on the Day of Atonement and saying, Lord, what sin do I need to confess to you tonight? You're the answer for my sin. You've paid the price for my sin the penalty of my sin, my power has been broken, power of sin has been broken, and I want to confess my sin to you. I want to allow you to cleanse me of my sin and to take me deeper into your forgiveness. And so we can celebrate the fulfillment of the Feast of Atonement tonight as we take communion. In verse 31, it's a Sabbath, a solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls it is a statute forever, and the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in his father place, father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all of their sins once a year as he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now keep a finger here and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to the New Testament and look at the book of Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4. And look at verse 14 through verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. We see what a big deal this was to come into God's presence. Now we have open access because of our high priest to come in that time of need to obtain mercy and find grace. So it's offered to us to come into God's presence. And it's offered to us grace and mercy for a time of need. I wonder how many times there's been in our lives where maybe we've left an offer or a resource on the table that we didn't take advantage of. Maybe someone said, hey, if you need help, give me a call. Or maybe someone said, hey, I want to take you to lunch or I want to invite you to dinner. And we never took advantage of it. How many times have we left Hebrews chapter 4 on the table and we haven't taken advantage of it? On this Wednesday night, is there a need in your life? Is there some desperation in your life? Is there some brokenness in your life? Is there a void in your life that can't be filled by anything else as, as we get to come into the presence of God? We get to come into the Holy of Holies to find that grace and that mercy and that help in time of need, but we have to go there. <laughs> we have to go there. We have to be willing to press into the Holy of Holies, to talk with the creator of the universe, to stop and listen and receive that encouragement from him. But 24-7, 365 days a year, for our entire lifetime, but not just ours, but for generations that will live after us, this is the invitation that God gives. This invitation is never closed. God's not too busy. God's not in a place where He's like, hey, I've got too much going on from other people. I, I can't hear from you. He wants to hear from us. And so we have the opportunity to enter into the Holy of Holies. Let's go back to Leviticus and look at chapter 17. In chapter 17, we see the value of blood. It's, it's the value of the sanctity of life and why the blood of Jesus is so important in his sacrifice for our sins. In the 1800s, there was a man who took over a church for a former pastor, and a lady comes up to him after his first service and says, you know, I hope you don't talk about blood near as much as our former pastor. And he responded, and he said, you know, you can never talk about blood too much. And he was absolutely right. Because the Bible hinges on the blood of Jesus, doesn't it? All of these animal sacrifices point to the blood of Jesus that would pay the price for our sin. And blood is brutal. Christ being crucified upon the cross is brutal and his blood that was shed for us. But it shows the brutality of sin, the consequence of sin, but it shows the depth of God's love for us. So the foundation of the blood of Jesus being poured out for us is laid out in chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to the children of Israel, and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle meeting to offer an offering to the Lord, before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of the bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood 
and the man shall be cut off from among his people to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to the priests, and to offer them as a peace offering to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and shall burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So these first verses here, first six verses, if someone were to make a sacrifice out in the field, but then never bring it to the tabernacle, then they were to be cut off from the children of Israel. They were to be cast out from the children of Israel. Is there an application for us in the new covenant of the importance of the tabernacle? We are God's people and God dwells inside of us. Some people will say, you know, I don't need the tabernacle. I don't need the church, not the building, but I don't need the people of God. I can do the Christian life on my own. My sanctuary is the golf course. My sanctuary is the, the mountains, right? I've got Christ. I've got my Bible. Christ is perfect. I don't really enjoy other believers. I don't need the tabernacle. I don't need the church. I don't need the body of, of believers. Well, God tells us and exhorts us that we need to be in fellowship with one another. This is a us thing, not a isolated thing, not a me, myself, and I, but the body of Christ. And so we do get cut off, don't we, if we isolate ourselves from the body, if we isolate ourselves from the tabernacle, if you would. And we've got to fight for that right now, to be in fellowship with, with one another. So don't allow the limitations to keep you from being in fellowship. For those of you that are at home, man, reach out to other believers. This is time to pick up the phone. This is the time to do FaceTime and text. And as we're sitting here in the sanctuary, is there a believer that's on our heart and mind to, to reach out to? And we, we need one another. And the sacrifices were to be brought into the tabernacle. And our sacrifice is to be done in the midst of fellowship with other believers. In verse 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they've played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. This is interesting. It's really interesting because what plagued the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament was idolatry. And here it says, as they offered unto idols that they were worshiping demons. There's a demonic reality to idol worship. Idols are anything that we put above the Lord, and there's still a demonic element that takes place. Satan loves it when we worship money, and we put money before the Lord, and there's a demonic influence there. Satan loves it when we bow down and worship sexual sin, and sexual sin becomes our God and becomes more important than our relationship with the Lord. And, and he will use sexual sin to destroy our lives. So you can look at the different idols of today and see, well, there's a real demonic activity that's there. Satan and his cohort doesn't want us worshiping the Lord, wants us to be in that place of idolatry. At the end of John's letter, his epistles, the disciple John he writes this beautiful letter on love, and then what does he end with? He says, dear children, keep yourself from idols. In verse 8, also you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel 
or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers burnt offerings or sacrifices and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatever man of the house of Israel or strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. So God wants to set aside a sacredness when it comes to blood for the children of Israel or that they would not drink blood for the life is in the blood. And scientists have really been able to uncover how important our blood is to us. You can tell so much about your health by your blood work, right? The life is truly in the blood. But the message here is, is to honor when someone dies or when an animal dies. You don't just go drink the blood out of the animal, but you realize this was a being that was created by God and life is valuable, so I'm not going to drink the blood. But also there's a reference here to atonement. By not drinking the blood, you're understanding that there's atonement that takes place through the sacrifice of these animals, these animals dying. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us in chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there's the no, no remission of sin. So for when the children of Israel, when they wouldn't drink blood, it was showing that all life is important and that atonement comes through the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, ultimately pointing to the blood sacrifice of Jesus. There needs to be an honoring of the fact that God has created life, right? Where we step back and we go, all life matters to God. Babies in the womb belong to the Lord. Life begins conception. The elderly are created by God and have purpose and everything in between. Other people's lives, your life, how you view your own life, the blood that is inside of you, God has given to you, and it's sacred. In the Old Testament, when there would be murder, the blood would be upon the ground and it would cry out to the Lord. When Cain killed Abel, Abel's blood cried out to the Lord. It's God speaking to the sanctity of life. Our culture needs to wake up to the sanctity of life. Amen? There's a value that's there. And then that points us to the life of Christ and the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sin and how valuable it is that Christ's blood was shed for us so that we could have forgiveness of sin. In verse 12, Therefore I say to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beast, whether he is a native or 
your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. And so this is where we wrap up tonight and we conclude our study. So here's a few applications. And the first is Christ is the one who makes us clean. Chapter 15, bodily discharge. The woman in Luke chapter 8 who was unclean and Jesus was the one who makes her clean. So thankful for Christ. So thankful that we're not under the old covenant. Christ is the fulfillment of the day of atonement. So now we have access to the Holy of Holies. Tonight as we enter into communion and we enter into worship, let's go into the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn. Let's spend time with our Father. Express our love, our gratitude, our thanksgiving. Pour out our hearts before him. Confess sin and receive the forgiveness of sin. Let him know those areas of need in our lives. A few weeks ago, it was about a month ago, I went to lunch with a pastor in town here and had a, a great time uh, together. And He comes from a little bit different uh, tradition when it comes to communion. And in order to take communion inside of his church, the pastors have to serve communion. So with COVID, many of their church members hadn't been able to celebrate communion. So the pastors were doing home visits to be able to deliver a communion. And it really ministered to my heart that this pastor cared enough for his congregation to be able to go visit home to home to deliver a communion. But it shows how much that they respect communion. Now, for me, as I see the scriptures, I see it a little bit differently. You don't have to have a pastor or a priest uh, deliver communion to you. You're able to receive communion. So this means for everybody at home that's listening online, you don't have to wait till you're in person in the sanctuary to take communion. So I have a question for everybody at home. How long has it been since you've taken communion? Maybe you've been at home for some time due to COVID. When have you stopped and taken communion? And I would encourage you, stop and take communion this Wednesday night, but every Wednesday night. Get some bread, get some juice, and as we enter into worship, you enter into communion just like you were here in the sanctuary. But then for all of us to stop and consider the value of Christ, the Lamb of God, we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 1 and 2 for our Christmas Eve service. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, what we love so much means, what does the name of Jesus mean? To save us from our sins. That's what the name of Jesus means. And for us to thank Jesus that he is our Savior, to really enter into the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. And lastly, we see the value of life represented in blood. The value of Christ's life, the value of your life. I hope you know that your life matters. Your life matters because you've got blood flowing through your veins. You're a living miracle. God put you together in your mother's womb. But even more than that, Jesus' blood died for you. And it gives your life value. And that message needs to get out to others. There's people at Walmart doing their grocery shopping right now that need to know they're valued. There's young people in our city that need to know that they're valued. And we're getting beat down 
but Christ wants to lift us up through his sacrifice. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the fulfillment of the day of atonement, that you are the sacrifice for our sins, that you took the wrath of the Father so that we could enjoy forgiveness. And as we celebrate communion tonight and take communion tonight, may we enter into that fullness. Lord, I pray for all of us that we could enter into your holy of holies. I pray for those at home tonight, that as they take communion and draw near to you, Lord, that they would experience your presence. So Abba, Father, Daddy, we, we cry out to you and we, we need you. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our relationship with our kids. Lord, we need you in our singleness. Lord, these are desperate times and we're, we're desperate for you. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.